It is so good to be here this morning with you. Last week, uh, <clears throat> last week was my first Sunday back from an amazing four-month sabbatical that uh, the church granted us, and I took some time at the beginning to say thank you, and I just want to do that again uh, this Sunday. For those of you who uh, may have missed last week, it was such an incredible gift of time and space to be able to connect with God in a unique way, as well as our family. And God did just so many amazing things in our family uh, and also in my personal life. My personal walk with the Lord has been strengthened, rejuvenated, renewed. He's given me clear vision. It's been just an incredible time. So again, I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank all those who supported us in prayer. Um, God answered those prayers uh, in mighty, mighty ways. And one of the practical ways that God answered that prayer while I was in the Philippines, I didn't get sick. I mean, I ate all the food, everything they gave me. I ate it. I drank the water with the ice cubes. Nothing happened. Other people, they got sick. Now, it was too bad. You know, I was like, oh, I feel bad. I wonder what they're going through. I'm fine. You know, I'm just having a great time eating balut and all sorts of Filipino stuff. But uh, God kept me safe, uh, and we had just a blessed time. So I want to thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I want to spend the next few Sundays. I'm not sure how many, but I want to spend at least the next few Sundays talking about what the Lord has shown me in that time. I want to I focus on that. I want to compartmentalize that for us. Um, just the, because there's so many things that the Lord showed me. I want to compartmentalize it for the next few Sundays and talk about you know, different topics, different things that the Lord showed me. And uh, I remember just last week, wasn't it powerful, our service last Sunday? Wow. You know, when you make the presence of God the center point of your ministry, the centerpiece. It's all about the presence. When we are a church, when we become a church that hosts the presence of God, everything changes. People's lives are transformed. God moves. You see, I, and I love how Bill Johnson puts it. He says, you know, the church in the 21st century, they encamp around the sermon. They encamp around the pulpit. Israel encamped around the presence. Wow, isn't that powerful? It was all about the presence of God. Now, of course, Israel had their rituals. They had all their stuff that they had to do. But it all pointed back to the presence of God. That's what we as a church must do. As a church, actively seek the presence. Host his presence. And things happen. And it's amazing the testimonies that that we've heard over the last few months of what God's been doing in the lives of his people here at Trinity. It's amazing. God moves in profound ways when we make the main thing the main thing, and that is his presence. Now, if you recall from last week's talk, I ta again, I talked about so many different things. Uh, God, God showed me so many different things. Um, today, I want to talk about a topic that you know, I got to admit, I, I don't talk about this often. Yet it is so important. It is like the, the crux of the Christian faith. 
This topic is so important for our relationship with God. It's, it's a basic, basic topic for Christianity. And yet, I don't think I'm alone. I think there are other pastors and leaders in churches, for some reason, for whatever reason, seldom talk about this topic. But the Lord showed me the importance of this topic, and we need to talk about it, and that's the topic of repentance. Repentance. So many times during the four months, God brought me to that place of repentance. And so to get us started, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, chapter 51. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. It's somewhere almost in the middle of the, of the Bible, Psalm 51. Those of you who know Psalm 51, you know, oh, it's going to be good. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, only open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls in Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The title for my message this morning is the divine exchange. Will you pray with me this morning? Oh, Lord. <clears throat> we come before you, Lord. And want to declare that you are good. That you are righteous. You are holy. That's who you are. You are love. 
it fully encompasses all your nature. Bring us back to love. Bring us back to that place of being in your love. We want to make a divine exchange this morning, God. Beauty for ashes, joy for the sorrow, dancing for the morning. We need you. God, I pray that the words that will be spoken this morning will not return void. Even in my heart, God, do what only you can do by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Psalms are a collection of songs. It's like a hymn book. The Jewish people, when they gathered together in their synagogues, they would sing the psalm. Kind of like if we were to c- compile all the worship songs that we sing, have them printed out, put them in a binder, into a book. Essentially, that's what the psalms are. They're a collection of songs, 150 of them, right in the middle of our Bible. Now, there's very... There's different types of songs that are in there. Different types that describe the different emotions, the different experiences that the people of God will go through in their life. And what the Psalms do is this. It gives meaning and it gives words to the very things we experience in life. When we experience the mountaintop, when we experience joy, It talks about it. It talks about our joy. In fact, the way the Psalms talk about joy, when we read it, it completes our joy. Because our joy is found in God. And so when we say, God, you are everything. You are the joy of my morning. We are completing our joy because joy needs something to attach to, to experience it fully. And when we attach our joy to God, we experience complete joy. And that's what we experience in the Psalms. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing for joy a new song to the Lord. Songs of joy are in there. Teaching us how to express our joy correctly, rightly to God. It also talks about longing for God. There are psalms of longing as a deer pants so my soul Longs for you. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Longing song. And the people of God would gather and they would sing this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. Because people of Israel, they're encamped around the presence. They're experiencing the presence. And they're singing. How lovely 
is your dwelling place. There are also songs that talk about deep sorrow because the Christian life also experiences sorrow, lament, discouragement, pain, suffering. It's a part of this life. And there are songs of lament that give words and meaning to the emotions that we go through as God's people. It helps us attach. What am I feeling right now? What's going on within me? And you read the Psalms, you're like, that's what I'm feeling. Yes. My tears have been my food day and night. My soul is cast down within me. Yes. It gives word and meaning. It, it puts a label on the things that we experience in life. That's what the Psalms do. They are honest and raw experiences that people go through. And they help us experience those things in a right way. Directing our emotions. Directing our joy, our frustration, our sorrow. All towards God. That's what the Psalms is for. And Psalm 51 is a great example of what it means to have a repentant heart of what it means to come back to God. It's, it's showing us what it looks like to have a repentant heart. Now, if you look at Psalm 51 on the heading in your Bibles, you may have it, mine has it, Psalm 51, the heading says this. If you want to know what it's all about, it says this. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And you're like, whoa. Right from the heading, you're like, whoa. This is not going to be G-rated, folks. David did something. And it was really bad. And then he writes Psalm 51. Right from the start, you will see that this is a big deal. So let's look at that story. What happened? Why did David write this? Where does Psalm 51 come from? Because you, you hear the depth of guilt there. There's so much guilt. Why did he have that? Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11. So what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a, a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. You know, for anyone that says the Bible is boring, 
you are mistaken and you have not read the Bible. We've got Grey's Anatomy going on right here, folks. This is drama. But when you think about it, this is brutal what David did. What happened? We're talking about King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. They talk about him from, for generations, still to this day. A man after God's own heart. David was a man that had his eyes, his eyeballs glued to God. I am after you and you alone. He was so in tune with God. In fact, just a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is seen completely, completely enraptured in God's presence. And he's dancing. I don't know how he was dancing, but it says he was dancing in an undignified way. He didn't care what he looked like. I don't care what I look like. I love the Lord. And people are looking at him, oh, what, what is he doing? But he didn't care. I'll be even more undignified than this. Why? Because I love you, Lord. I love you. I love your presence. He was so in tune with God. What happened? He falls into this sin. And it's crazy because he asked his messenger to go and find out about this woman. And the messenger comes back and is like, Dave, she's married. In fact, she's married to one of your soldiers, Uriah the Hittite. He's a, he's a good man. And he was like, I don't care. Even though Leviticus 20 verse 10 says, do not commit adultery. I don't care. Bring her to me. And he does what nobody thought he would do. He totally caved into his sin. And the story goes on to make matters worse because he finds out, uh-oh, she's pregnant. I can't hide now. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He tries to cover it up. And his plan was, ah, I'm going to go send Uriah, take him off the battlefield, tell him to come home, and sleep with his wife. That's what I'll do. So then the pregnancy will look like his. He tries to cover up his sin. And so he, he does that. He goes and calls Uriah. But Uriah is a righteous man of integrity. He's like, how can I do that? I mean, my comrades are on the battlefield. I can't just leave so that I can, you know, be with my wife. And what about all their wives? Uh, they would love to do that too. I can't do that. I need to stay and fight. And so David's like, oh, plan A doesn't work. Uh-oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to uncover what I just did. So what do I do? What do I do? Oh, he decides to put Uriah on the front line. And just as he gets there, the other soldiers around him will scatter, and then he will get killed in battle. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed in battle. David now commits murder. Isn't that crazy? How unchecked sin 
can spiral out of control like that. It's outrageous what David did. Unspeakable, heinous. It was an outrageous mess. Sin, when we're in that place of sin, the first thing that happens is we try to hide it, don't we? We try to hide it or make it not such a big deal. Oh, it's, it's okay, it's hidden. Nobody else knows. It's hidden. You know, that's something that Adam and Eve did. It, it goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid in shame. They hid. And that's what David did. He tried to hide his sin. But let me tell you something. You can't hide from God. You see, when God called out to Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? He wasn't asking for information. He wasn't asking because he didn't know where they were. He knew what was going on. Whenever God asks a question, it's not for information. He knows. He knows the answer. You can't hide. David could not hide his sin, even though he did a really crazy thing to try to cover that up. And so God sends the prophet Nathan. Nathan had no idea. But God told him. And so Nathan comes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, one chapter later. And he begins to confront David. And he does it in such a unique way. In fact, he does it in a way that I think Jesus would have probably done it. He tells David a parable. He's like, David, I got a story for you. Let me share a story for you. Oh, okay, okay, Nathan. Yeah. There was a wealthy man. And a poor man, the wealthy man had a lot of cattle, sheep, livestock galore. He was very wealthy, lots of stuff. The poor man, he had one ewe lamb. That's it. That's all he had. And that poor man, he treasured that lamb so much. He would care for it. It even would sleep on the same bed with him. They would eat here, you know, he would feed the ewe lamb from his own bowl. He loved that ewe lamb. Now, the wealthy man, he was going to throw a party. And a lot of guests are going to come and they need some kebabs. We need some barbecue, some shawarma. And the wealthy man, sh instead of being like, hmm, let me see, I've got about 10,000 of these, about 5,000 of these, and... Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Instead of looking at his own livestock, he goes and he takes the one ewe lamb from the poor guy. He takes that one, slaughters it, and serves it to his guests. I mean, when I hear that parable, I'm like, what? That is injustice. And you know what? David, that's what David did. 
David hears this parable, he's like, what? Something's got to be done. This wealthy man, he needs to pay back fourfold what was taken. And you know what? He needs to be put to death. Shame on him. David says that when he hears that parable. And right there, David reveals another aspect of our sin when we're in sin. We look at the sin of others and we're totally blinded to our own. This is talking about David. And he's completely blinded. And he's like, quick to judge. Quick to be critical. How dare he? That man needs to pay fourfold. That man deserves to die. He was totally blinded. And then Nathan comes to David and he says, David, the wealthy man is you. It's you. And David does what? what? It's almost unpredictable. Because many of us, I'm sure, even myself, I don't think I would have reacted this way. David repents. And in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David acknowledges his sin against God. And it was in that state that he wrote Psalm 51. And when you read it, you hear his heart. He goes on and on. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. Blot out my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. It's like this cinema in my mind. It keeps playing and playing and playing and playing and playing. Forgive me. Forgive me. Cast it away from me. Purge me. Cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit. He's pouring out his guilt. He's pouring out his shame to God. I've sinned against you, Lord. You see, there's two ways we can respond to sin. When somebody confronts me about my sin, there's two ways that I can respond. Number one, challenge. What are you talking about? Oh, it's not a big deal. I could make light of it and I could divert it. I could challenge that. For some reason, there's this hardwiring inside me to do that. When I'm confronted, challenge. No, what are you talking about? Blame shift. That's what Adam did, didn't he, in the garden. When God calls to him and says, why did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Why did you disobey me? You know what Adam says? Well, God, this woman whom you made me, she made me do it. I know, totally inappropriate of him, right? <laughs> oh, man, we live in a different world now. I'd get a flying knee to the head, man. I don't know what he was thinking. Wow. That's what many of us do when we're confronted with something we do wrong. Challenge. Divert. Divert the guilt. Divert the shame. Divert it. Allie's probably rolling her eyes right now. 
I have a habit of blaming her for things. It's totally ridiculous. Like if I lose my keys, I'd be like, Allie, why do you move my keys to a place where I don't know where they are? Where are my keys? And she'll be like, did you check your coat pocket? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or if I break something or something, you know, I make a mistake or I fail at something or, you know, something breaks. Allie, look what you made me do. And she's like upstairs. So it's like, what? What are you? Uh, sorry, babe. I'm, forgive me. Forgive me. I love you. But I don't know why. I, I <laughs> we have this tendency to do that. It's to blame shift. And, you know, David, human just like you and me, he could have done that. When Nathan confronted him, he could have been like, I'm the king. What's the big deal? Chill out, Nathan. Get out of my face. I'm the king. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. David responds in repentance. And the mystery of God's grace and his mercy and steadfast love is shown in the next part. After David says, I've sinned against the Lord, Nathan says this in 2 Samuel 12, 13. The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Isn't that outrageous? Isn't that unbelievable? David committed adultery. He stole another man's wife. And he kills that man. Kills them. And you would think, that doesn't fly in our world today. If David was tried in our courts, he's in jail. Why would God just do that? It's a mystery called amazing grace. This is a foreshadow of what God would ultimately do for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 3.25 puts it this way. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before unpunished. Sin needs to be judged. And for a righteous judge to do that would make him just. And God does it by sending Jesus to the cross. Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross for our sin, all our sin. Now, for those of us here this morning, I mean, you've heard messages like this before, and you're like, you know, life's just been busy. Programs, school, work, 
schedules, deadlines, to-do lists. It goes on and on and on. But for some reason, you feel this void in your spirit. For some reason, there's this inner dryness. For some reason, you can't pinpoint it, but it's very difficult to connect with God. You don't know what it is, but you know it's not something heinous like what David did. But there's something. This morning, I believe it's going to be a day of revelation for you. God is going to show you. You know, God showed me in such a profound way the things that I was doing with my family, how I was neglecting, how I wasn't spending the appropriate time. And when I was spending time, I was not there here. And God radically revealed that to me this past and during the sabbatical, radically. And I came to that place of repentance. God, I want to change. Uh, let's make a trade. Your ways for my ways. Your ways for my ways. I want to make a trade with you. And God's wanting to do that for you. And so we're going to take some time this morning to ask God to search our hearts. To search our hearts and lead us to the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe God's going to speak to us this morning. And he has a divine exchange for you. Beauty for ashes. Joy for sorrow. Dancing for mourning. There may be those of us here who wrestle with this topic. Wrestle with this because you know in Scripture it says that Jesus died for all our sin. It's paid. So do we have to ask for forgiveness again? Do we need to keep repenting? And the answer is yes. Yes. You see, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us of our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus teaches us to pray daily. It's a daily thing. Daily praying for provision. Daily praying for forgiveness. It's a divine exchange. Our sins, our burdens, our mess for his robes. It's a daily thing. I love how John Piper put it. The cross is not the reason that we don't need to ask for forgiveness anymore. The cross is the basis of our confidence that the answer will be Yes. Yes. He died for you. His death for your life. He wants to make a divine exchange with you. 
And there may be some of you this morning, this is hitting home. God is speaking to you right now. And he's calling you back. Come back home. Come back home. Come back to my presence. Come back. He's like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. His arms are wide open. He's a good father. He's a good father. He doesn't want you to wallow in your shame and stay stuck in the muck of your shame. He wants to pull you out. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to renew you. He wants to set you free. He wants to break the chains. He wants to do that. Beauty for ashes. Joy for sorrow. wants to make that divine exchange this morning to break every chain in your life. So let's come together now. I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads. We're going to take a moment to reflect. We're going to take a moment to ask the Lord, show me God. For those of you who want to come forward as a sign of, God, I'm coming to you. I want to invite you to do that, to come forward. You can kneel, you can sit at the front, and it's just between you and the Lord. We're going to give space for you to connect with God, give space for you to seek the Lord and for, uh, to allow him to speak into your life. For those of you, you want to just stay seated where you are, that's fine. If you want to move somewhere where you want to be quiet, that's fine as well. It's between you and God. So let's pray. Father, come now. Let your spirit move among us now. Bring us to that place where we can make